All right, let's let's get rolling, I guess. Rolling, 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 rolling. Keep them doggies rolling, right? Where am I? The Voyager cast. Who are you? The second in command. What do you want? To cover every iteration of Star Trek. I will not watch Voyager, Enterprise, Picard, Lower Decks, Prodigy, or Discovery. My life is my own. By hook or by crook, you will. I am not a prisoner of your podcast whims. All right, you want to do the prisoner? All right, then. The Village People, an exploration of the prison. With Paul Spataro, Dave Pascarella, Bill Robinson, and Andrew Lamb. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Village People, a retrospective look at the 1960s surrealistic classic, The Prisoner. I have completely forgotten who I am. <laughs> oh, I am the Colonel, Andrew Leyland, and as ever, I am joined on this journey by the man who has already seen the prisoner, Rover, Dr. Bill Robinson. On today's program... Bloody hell, I forgot what I was going to say, too. <laughs> Hold on. The <laughs> level of professionalism you've come to think of when you think of this show. On today's program, nothing is said for 20 minutes. Number six has an ejection. And a Ooh. cougar bakes a cake. She does, yes, very good. And two drug smugglers. No, they weren't drug smugglers, were they? Two gun smugglers. Dave Pascarella. Guns are better than drugs. <laughs> depends how high you are, I guess. And Paul Spataro. Where you're standing, though. I guess so. And Paul Spataro. You're just going to get both going to get thrown off the boat. Many happy returns is the episode that we are looking at this week. Written by Anthony Skeen, directed by Joseph Surf. Do we all know who Joseph Surf really is? No. Yes. Patrick McGowan. Oh, cool. Joseph is that. his wife's mate, his wife, his mum's maiden name. And Surf, obviously, in frugal times, a Surf was um, the guy who did all the work. A lackey, basically. So he took over as director of this after a couple of, I think one day's worth of shooting was in the camp with the original director. Many Happy Returns was first broadcast on Friday, the 10th of November, 1967 by ITV and CBS in America broadcast it on Saturday, the 20th of July, 1968 to an audience in the UK anyway of 10 million viewers. They would kill for ratings like that nowadays. The bell rings out over the village, an ominously silent, utterly deserted village. This is the time the prisoner must make his bid for freedom, back to his homeland and his friends to many happy returns. What's the number of that car? Do tell me. I know every nut and bolt and cog. I built it with my own hands. Then you're just the man I want to see. I've been having a good deal of overheating in traffic. But now, no one will believe in his world of fantasy. Tell him our problem before. You resign, you disappear, you return. You spin a yarn that Hans Christian Andersen would reject. I also have a problem. I'm not sure which side runs this village. The past is unreal, the future uncertain, unless he can find his prison, the place they called the village. Don't miss this next suspense-filled episode of The Prisoner. There it is. The synopsis runs as follows. It seems as though the village has died. Suddenly, the prisoner finds himself alone. For the first time, he sees the real promise of escape. There is no one to stop him, no interference as he builds a raft, and still no one on guard as he pushes out to sea towards freedom. But the sea is now the enemy. Which makes it sound like it's going to be run silent, run deep. Yeah. Which, you know, it isn't. What it is, is great. <laughs> I'm not burying the lead on this one. I love this episode. I think this it, was really fantastic. Yeah, it's it's got a good twist. 
Um, did, did you spot the clue in the opening credits? Uh, that there was no number two show? Well, there was no number two. Yeah, there was an extra shot of Rover stuck in there where yeah. you would normally see. And it was just the uh, the one, uh, they have like a generic number two. I can't remember yeah. the gentleman's name. Is it Patrick Cargill? Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember his name either. No, but Patrick whoever... Cargill was the... Uh, I think he's Patrick Cargill's that... in this episode, isn't he? Yeah. 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 He's Thorpe. Uh, yeah. So they have a generic voiceover number two for reasons of whenever they want to keep who number two has a secret for hmm. purposes of plot. And this was one such episode where the number two is kept a secret until the very, very end of the show. So, Thoughts, uh, oh, gentlemen, I really enjoyed watching this one. I thought it was really cool. I thought it had the most James Bond feel. And, you know, I'm a huge James Bond fan. Uh, the thing about it was I kept saying to myself when it was over, but why did they engineer this? What yeah, purpose did it serve? Was it just to show them the futility of leaving? Is that the idea? Yeah, I'm no, not really sure. No. I didn't I didn't get that at all. I read this completely differently. She's given him what he wanted for his birthday. Many happy returns is his birthday. Oh, I thought it was New Year's, but okay. Um, that's why I said Happy New Year at the beginning of the episode. Um, <laughs> but I, I, so what are you giving him what he wants for his birthday? What, to, to leave the island? To get away, to leave escape. He escaped. And I genuinely believe that they didn't plan any of the first half of it. He genuinely gets away. I mean, they let him get away by evacuating the village. And there's never an explanation of where they put all those people. Or why they took Everybody, get in the closet. Off. Everybody, come on. Yeah, <laughs> Here it comes. Closet, yeah. Somebody's, somebody's standing there with a the lampshade over his away. head. <laughs> yeah, because I also think that Thorpe and the Colonel aren't necessarily in on this. Oh, I don't right. think they are. I don't think they are either. I think her entire plan hinges on him being so stubborn that he chooses to come back. I honestly, if he, when he comes across the gun runners, if he'd have took their boat and just disappeared, they'd have never seen him again. But because he's who he is, he comes back. And for his birthday, she gives him what he wants. She lets him escape. The fact that he's in the village from now on is on him. But he didn't elect to go back and stay in the village. That wasn't what he wanted no, no, to no. do. But he, his tenacity, I think what Andy's saying, it's it's his, you know, he said, I will come, I will escape, and I will come back. I will come back. Level, level this place to the ground. Hmm? So they're relying on that stubbornness that he's got that will bring him back. Now, the pilot's in on it. Definitely. Well, well they switched the pilots. They're, they're because skipping the one ahead, but he clearly says... Yeah, yeah, and they swap him out. Yeah, be seeing it's you. A different guy because he clearly says be seeing you. Although that's a horrible. Interestingly, <laughs> he gets. Well, yeah, he gets a copy of the tally ho when he lands, and it's supposed the headline is supposed to say "Plane lost at sea, no survivors," and that was supposed to be the heading of the tally ho. There was a couple of lines of dialogue at the end of the episode that were cut. Mm. The implication being. That when he left six, they crashed the plane, killed the pilot, and now the people in London think he's gone back to look for the island and never returns. Oh, gone for good. But they cut those lines, which is a shame, because that tied it all up in a much neater little bow. But that also spelled it out, I think, that Thorpe and the Colonel weren't in on it. Now, Slate, I don't want to say spoiler, but we will see... Uh... Thorpe, or is it the Colonel? No, it's Thorpe. Thorpe. We will see him again, but it is not the same. It's technically not supposed to be. It's just that they like to reuse the actors. But we do that a lot. Because they rearranged the uh, viewing order uh, in the original broadcast order, he would you would have seen this actor already, and it would be confusing. Oh wait a minute, you you would be like, oh well, that guy's a bit no. Now that they flipped it, we'll see him later, and it can be implied that possibly now he has come over to the side of the village, perhaps. Yeah. Well, also this this was episode thirteen. This was the thirteenth filmed. Right. And right. I don't know if you're aware of this. British television shows tend to have six episodes or thirteen episodes, so this was the season finale had it gone from series one to series two 
had they choose to go that route. And then obviously conversations happened and they decided they would end it rather than having it carry on because McGoohan didn't think it sustained itself for two, three, four series. What this also means is this is the last episode that George Mark Stein produces, even though it's only the, what, the fifth one that we've watched? Uh, yeah, I think. Uh, so see. it should come a lot further down in the running order. What I love about this one is... This it's is the, the sixth, sixth one we've watched. Sixth one. So it should yes. be episode 13, really. So it should be much further down the line. I love that the first half of this episode is pretty much dialogueless. Yes, silent yes. movie. Yeah, we. you have to watch it. You have to be paying attention to it, to what he's doing. Yeah, it was really tough because I was reading while it was on. No. Don't do that. <laughs> <sighs> No, I was not reading. You're one of those people who listens to podcasts on 1.5 speed and watches <laughs> films in pan and scan. Oh, I hate pan and scan. Me and pan Everybody and scan, we do not get along. Scan. Everybody hates that. <laughs> Anybody who rues the loss of the 4x3 uh, TV yeah. set. <laughs> but now, you know, now, now when I'm watching older things, like the in-between things, I guess you'd call it, uh, and they're filmed in in four by three, and then when they zoom in on it, it's like, no, you're not supposed to do that either. No, 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 I hate that as well. You are absolutely correct. That only works if they shot the thing on film, because film does have that extra leeway at the sides. Yes. Sixteen millimeters. So for something like Friends, for example, they were able to make a sixteen by nine print of it because it was shot on film. Yeah, and, and so I, I, I do that. find I do find when we watch things that are in four by three and the black bars on the side on the you know the right and left sides almost become invisible to you and you just see the set yeah, as, away, as you see it as the size of the old set and you know or the the dimensions of the old sets and and it doesn't really bother me at all. Whereas the yeah. you know the letterboxing uh, was superior because it eliminated pan and scan, but you were always kind of conscious of those bars at the top and the bottom. Only really on like super widescreen, you know, like 2001 and stuff like that. Yes, mm. I know exactly what you mean. That it only really, you only re, eventually you just get used to it. And that was always my thing with it. I was like, no, leave it in widescreen. That's how it was filmed. But I know yeah. I'm totally going, uh, you know, off the charts here, but have you watched anything on Disney where they have the IMAX enhanced? Yes. No, no. And, and they keep switching between the two ratios. Yeah, that's it's yep. it's cool. You know, it's just like it, it's annoying to have the ratio switch during the show because you 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 notice that more than you do notice any kind of bars at the top or bottom. Yeah, because it keeps jumping between the two, doesn't it? Yeah, that is annoying. But Blonde, the Marilyn Monroe movie, does it deliberately. Okay. They keep switching between four by three and sixteen by nine. But anyway, I haven't seen the, the Prisoner. But the Prisoner, yes. Uh, <laughs> What what I was saying about the James Bond thing is when he's dealing with those gun runners, that really feels very adventure movie like and and less uh, mind games. So you know I lo- that that has kind of you know how if if this was Sean Connery or Roger Moore or one of those guys, how would they deal with it? And I see it be the, the whole uh, the whole scenario playing out very similarly to to the way it does there. So you know that. That just felt like a little James Bond in the middle of number six. It's very, yeah, this, the middle of it is very Danger Man. I love I love the first half. I love the entire first half of this because it's almost all on location. Magoo knows how to shoot himself. You know, there are shots where he's silhouetted against the sun where he's very much the heroic archetype mm-hmm. that you expect to be in these drama serials. But the, the bit in the middle where the gun runners just casually throw him into the sea, I love that bit because there's that little moment where you see he knows what's going on, he's twigged what's going on, and he takes a breath before they throw him in the water. Mm-hmm. So you know he's already planned what he's going to do. He knows what he's going to do. So the minute that he walks back and Six dives underwater and then climbs on the back of the boat, I love all that bit in the middle because we've seen before how smart he is. And how resourceful he is. So him getting on the boat and taking those guys out was brilliant. The only thing he did wrong was he should have thrown them off, off his, overboard. That's what they and did. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's what I would have done. I'd have kicked him off the boat. I'm thinking James Bond might have just killed him, to be honest. Oh, James Bond would have shot him. 
Right? They're gun runners. It's not like they were running medical supplies. If he, yeah. threw, if he threw them off into the water, I mean, which is what they tried to do to him, assuming they weren't able to get back on and, and take over again, he you know, he would have effectively killed them. They were far enough out to sea, they weren't going to swim to shore. His racket was there. Yeah, I guess that's true. So, you know, yeah, just he gave him. them more of a chance than, than they would have given him. And they were pretty smart because they had, like, the spatial awareness of their own craft that they could kick through from that one side yeah. into the other, which was you know, kind of convenient. But but still, um, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, I will say when he was – I got a, I always get a lot of vibes on this program from Gilligan's Island. Like, it's a dark <laughs> universe mirror of Gilligan's Island. When he's floating on the boat day one, day two. The first two days, or a couple of days, they were <laughs> where he's shaving on the boat. I turned to my wife. I said, "Only an Englishman would be neat enough to shave while he's floating around yeah, on the boat." Yeah, I I pointed that out as well. I was like, "What well, would you bother shaving, really?" <laughs> I certainly would not well, bother shaving. And you're gonna say shave with seawater? Oh God, that's gonna hurt. Hey, my uncle knew a guy in the navy who used to shave with just a, a straight razor. And not even any water. He would just go right down the side of his face. Well, that was, uh... I, I actually did that when I was in the Navy, too. I, I mean, not, not with a straight razor, but like a disposable. I would just rip, 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 rip. Because we started doing that in boot camp right before an inspection. If you had stubble, the, the company commander would come around with a razor and he would, like, dry shave your face to get any stubble off your face so it was like a habit i picked up when i was in, in, in a hurry i still sometimes do it now if my beard's you know low enough that was in in the I movie bet. in the movie the dirty dozen it's one of the things they did to uh you know to make the crew uncomfortable so that they would kind of bond with each other it's like let them shave dry <laughs> <laughs> and then i was thinking while he was also floating around there Later on into the thing, maybe day 20 or something, if he just cook a fish on the deck, the uh, Coast Guard would see the smoke and come rescue him. <laughs> it's, I mean, you know, it, it, he is extremely capable, so I don't doubt that he would. But, you know, catching a fish while floating on a raft with no actual fishing equipment is not an easy task. Uh, Gilligan was able to do it. You just go, okay. Here, fishy, fishy, fishy. Gill fishy. Gilligan was just, extremely just capable. Up on <laughs> was he? Was he really? <laughs> I've never seen Gilligan's Island. So I don't what? Know. You, 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 trust me, it's no major loss. Okay. Yeah. It's just. But they you know. did make a reunion movie like 15 years they later. They made several of Where them. they finally got rescued and like this episode, wind up back on the island at the end. They actually mm -hmm. made a couple of movies. I think they did one with the Harlem Globetrotters and... Oh, mm -hmm. oh yeah. yeah, I think they made three altogether, or something like that. Two just, or three. Just to keep keep going with the tangents, there was another show uh, <laughs> that Sherwood Schwartz did that was meant to kind of have a similar feel about it, called "It's About Time," that starred Joe E. Ross, uh, and and he plays a caveman. Him and Imogene Coco play cave yep. people, and uh, astronauts actually go back in time and land in their area, and it was like. It was like Gilligan's Island seems like a masterpiece compared to this show. I can't imagine how that. Bothered. And and then that that was the Just it was two the seasons. Premise. The first season was that, and the second that season they come forward seasons. in time to modern times with the two cave people. It was it was horrible. I saw it on Decades TV a couple of months ago, and it was like, I you know I wasn't sure TV could be this bad. Um, I'm sure TV can be that bad. Well, it, it's it set a new like low for the worst ever. That along with My Mother the Car, which was famous for being bad. Uh, I've seen episodes of that on there, and it's like, oh my god, this is so horrible. But you know, to some extent, it's so bad that you start like, you know, you, like you can't take your eyes off them. It's like watching a car wreck. Well, that's Gilligan's Island. No, this you is worse though. This is worse. Island. I'm telling you. If you get a chance to see it, that. if you get a chance to see it, just watch the either show, watch an episode, and tell me it's not even less compelling than Gilligan's Island. And also, how great would it have been if, when he washes ashore on the beach if he looked up and went, "You maniac!" <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Speaking of that scene, Andy, is that the White Cliffs of Dover? It's filmed down in Sussex, so it's okay. Beachy Head. It's not Dover. Oh, uh, what? Because I, on a recent or at least an episode of, um, I think it, it um, the Grand Tour. Weren't they flinging cars from that location? Because I swear. Yes. I rem- okay, so I, I, I'm like, I, I, I've seen this. Like, yeah, yeah, that's where it was. So yeah, that that same shot with that red lighthouse. They were yeah. flinging cars <laughs> back to France. Well, that's no, that's not a surprise because Clarkson's a fan of the prisoner. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, I did not know that. Well, it's, oh, yeah. well, it's odd. I've been doing the uh, the Clarkson intros then, without yeah. without without having that you know knowledge. Yes, he's a big fan of the prisoner. And also, UFO, surprisingly. Hmm. He loves the UFO. So, you know. So, uh, you have packs of uh, Romani uh, gypsies just roaming the countryside? Well, the, this is just <laughs> wacky, isn't it? Especially when at the end. She's not even, I don't think she, I, I think I read that she's not even, they're not even speaking any actual language. No, they're not are speaking they? any, no, it's just like, clearly <laughs> just. Yeah. They're not speaking like any the, known language. The go go gophers. <laughs> it's it's a very bizarre choice. That he could have just come across people who are walking the dogs like the guy that he does see. That would have done. But the geography of this is really wacky because later on, when he gets back home and he goes to the offices of the people that he worked for, and they plot his course based on the wind and all of that stuff. The village is what? Off the coast of Spain or down near Morocco? Yeah. And I'm sorry, that is not the climate of down near Morocco. No, no, because it's a bit damp and cold. Because it's in Wales. Yeah. So that just made me laugh a little bit. The locate all the location shoots in is good though. All the location shooting in this is absolutely fantastic. And I can't but help think do you think this was a low budget episode? Well if if it is, it's still I still think it works. I still think oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. My thinking for that is there are no extras in the village. The shot of the village at the end where is, you see everybody stopped from yeah. Dance of the Dead because the butler's mm-hmm. there with the umbrella up. So that's stock footage from another episode. So you've only really got Magoo and, and then, what, four of five guest cast members? Yeah. With uh, speaking parts? Because the, the two gunrunners don't really speak. No. I don't know what nationality they're supposed to be. In the script, they were German. The uh, The gypsies speak, but not that anybody can understand them. Yeah, there's no actual dialogue there. But they so, do a yeah, good we... job of, of roughing him up throughout the episode as well. Like when he lands, when he washes up on the shore, his pants are ripped. Mm-hmm. And he's got five o'clock stubble again. Yeah. So they do a good job of making it seem like time has passed. Because did, did they say 27 days? Yeah, like 25. Like, yeah, something like that. And he slept for four hours a day. That, what, what, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I believe him. Well, yeah, but how does he, you know, does he, I guess he has a watch, but there's no alarm on that, on his wrist. Tells by how the sun is. is. Well, he's that smart. It's a guesstimate. It's a guesstimate. Yeah. I slept for four hours, 36 minutes and 28 seconds. He's making a best guess so they can plot where the village is, basically. Yeah, but before he gets to that, he meets Mrs. Butterworth. Oh, yeah, he goes back home, doesn't he? He goes yeah. home to Buckingham he Place. He hears his car. Brrr, and then we meet uh, Mrs. Butterworth. His job pays well if he can afford a house round the corner from the King's Palace. Let's be honest. Is that what that... Yeah, Buckingham Place is literally down the road from Buckingham Palace. Oh. So he lives on the street. So essentially, the royal family are his neighbours. <laughs> so whatever job he did before this paid exceptionally well. Clearly, Garrick was in the wrong intelligence. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. 
Uh, the fun stuff about watching all the London stuff now is just no, you don't drive like that around London anymore. You certainly would not get empty roads like that around there anymore. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I, all, it's I've full seen of that people in, uh, and yeah. And Clarkson's Farm most recently. So it's fun to to have a look at London as it was in the sixties in comparison to today, and see how much that's changed. A complaint about his car was genuinely amusing because I looked it up. That is a genuine complaint about that car, that kit car. It overheats if you stick in traffic too much and you stop start. It genuinely does overheat. Mm. So a complaint about it is a genuine complaint about that car. (laughs) So I found that amusing. When she shows up, did you twig there was something off about her? Well, when I first saw this... I would say no, like being, you know, a teenager and watching it. I don't I was not clued in at all. So. But now if I was to watch it now, I think I would think I would believe that something was up because, you know, I'm older and pessimistic and more distrustful. But the first time no. What did Paul and Dad think? I did not. I, I was I was just along for the ride and i kind of didn't suspect her i just thought she was an innocent person who they set up in his house uh but if i'm i didn't get a chance to watch this a second time i only got a chance to watch it once but i was feeling like if i watched it a second time i might see some clues i don't no. really think there is because... no i don't think there is it plays it very straight you're she led like to believe a, he's escaped. He's got away. And she just seems like a, you know, she's a, she's a, uh, she's a widow. She's, you know, she's happy to have someone that's just stumbled into her life. She has, you know, she has the uh, pancake syrup uh, fortune. Right. That, that was where her money was in pancake syrup. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's got the whole I, milf thing going on for her. I yeah. am just a suspicious sob. I knew from the first second I saw her that she was in on this. I just got a vibe. She's she's full of crap. Nobody's going to let a homeless guy into their house like this, particularly in a neighborhood like that. She's driving his car. This is all a setup. And, and, and I, I knew we weren't at the end of the run. So I was like, we're going to wind up back on the island. Well, that I figured it's this you know it had to end with him back on the island. Gillig- escape from Gil- rescue from Gilligan's Island. By the end of the episode, he's going to be back on the island. But yeah, I knew she was in on it from the beginning. I expected him to be back on the island, but I didn't realize she was in on it. I was, you know, I, I mean, you know, it, I'll take it a farther stretch. Is it doesn't he live at number one? His apartment was number one, Buckingham. Yep. Yeah, I started saying maybe she's number one, that she's living in number one. Or maybe six is number one. That could be two. And I completely derailed everything. No, no, no. No, No, I was just debating on whether or not we uh, go into who's number two. Right, buddy, you show that turner's boss. Oh yeah, we haven't done that. We've got let's straight into the episode, haven't we? Yeah. Well, I've I figured we would let it cook for a little until we get to the point where she is introduced and spoilers is the end of the episode, she's number two. Yeah. So I will shut up since I steal everybody's number twos. <laughs> well, that sounds disgusting. That sounds a little bit off. Yeah. And well, before uh, we go into the who's number oh, two oh. thing. It is yet another female number two who accomplishes messing with his head <laughs> almost as much, if not more so, than the male number twos. I don't know if the show's doing that deliberately. Yeah. <laughs> I just think every time there's a woman number two, it really screws him over. How old do you think the uh, Georgina 
cooks in. I, I figured out the math based on her birthday. How old do you think she is? About forty-six. This... Anybody else want to guess? I didn't have it. I really hadn't considered it, so I'm gonna abstain. I'm Dave. gonna throw out fifty-five. You are both wrong. She was about in the middle of that. Uh, she was born in 1918. She was 40, around 49 years old. Oh, so she's older than McGowan. Hmm. Mm, interesting. Right. Well, my choice for her in a modern version, Joanna Lumley. Ooh. Oh. Oh. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think Joanna Lumley would be a great number two. Hmm. And she could certainly pull off this this poise that this woman has that's slightly upper crust, darling. So I'm going with Joanna Lumley, both then and now. <laughs> she would have been much younger then. Yeah. <laughs> but she was around because she's in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, isn't she? Which was roughly around this time. Mm. So I wanted, for, for back then, I just got enamored with the Mrs. Butterworth thought, uh, so, I, so I'm casting Butterfly McQueen, who Mrs. Butterworth's bottle was patterned after. <laughs> uh, for for the current, I, I went really off the charts with this. I, just, I, I did not go older, uh, but I went with uh, somebody who just had that look where, like, you would you wouldn't give her credit for being that you know that mixed up in everything and. Uh, you you might trust when she talks. I went with Paris Hilton. Ooh, oh, that's very good, actually. That's an excellent choice. I'm also going to throw in Louise. Oh, Louise Fletcher, who recently passed away. Who was Kai Wynn. Oh, yeah. I think she mm. she could have done this as well. Yes. Come in, child. <laughs> I went with Meryl Streep. Oh, yeah. Okay. I only picked one. That's it. Ah, I had a couple. Uh, so for back then, uh, when is it... Paltrow? Hmm. That's another. I thought, I, I, we're just it, we're just going to throw out guesses yeah. until we get to bills. Oh no no no! Uh, you're not going to guess mine. <laughs> All right. So I because well one these two would never uh, so the two older choices would have been Catherine Hepburn. Oh yeah. Or Lauren Bacall. Good call. Uh, call both. The uh, the modern would be Marissa Torme. T- oh yeah, Torme, T- not Torme. And I think the one that would be spot on, and she's actually the same age as this actress, is Claudia Black. Oh, Farscape. Yeah, Farscape, awesome. Stargate. So you, so are Pitch you Black? Gonna... Yeah, Pitch Black. You guys, uh, David Paul, do you know who Claudia Black is? I think I do. No, I'm going to look her up. <clears throat> I think I have, a, yeah. I have an image in my mind of who I think that is, but I'm going to look up and make sure I'm thinking of the right person. I thought you lot would have watched Stargate. I did, but I don't remember because I'm old. <laughs> now, now, like an outside guess I also had for older would have been the actress that played Liz Shaw in Doctor Who. How many, oh, how many people did you cast in this role? I, I was just well, we had a lot of time between in between these two for me to think about it. They would come to me while I was driving back and forth to work and be like, "Ooh, this person would be good. Ooh, that person would be good. Oh my God, I'm in an accident." Yeah. Well, when would when would you have had Carol and John? Because unfortunately, she's no longer with us because she died relatively young. Ah. Uh, well, that, no, that would have been back then because I thought she could play an older part back then. Not that she looked right. old. No, she could have pulled it off. Yes, I thought she could have pulled pulled it off. Right. Because she was always a more intelligent, I don't want to say foil, but uh, character to play off the doctor because she was actually, in some ways, as intelligent as he was. He was, She wasn't just the Joe Grant, oh, explain to me, doctor, what's going on? You know. The dolly bird. Yes. I see. Uh, when he arrives back and he steals, he doesn't steal his car, he gets given his car, he goes back to the office. Did you notice... That when he says anybody home, the guy behind the desk is the guy he resigns to. Yes, and I thought we were going to see more. more. No, I, he's not an actor. That's George Markstein, story editor. <laughs> uh, 
So he's not an actor. He basically did it to provide some continuity between the opening credits and, and this. The actors that he does meet, Donald Sinden. Donald Sinden went on to be massive sitcom star in the 80s. He was in Never the Twain with Windsor Davis, which was a gentle sitcom about two antiques dealers who run rival antique shops and hilarity ensued for at least 10 years. That's your wow. And I'm like, it's crap. <laughs> See, crap TV is all over the world. Crap TV is universal. Donald Sinden's great because of his voice. His voice is absolutely fantastic. Mm. Uh, I'm trying to have, I'm just vamping for time as I look at IMDb. I'm just thinking from your description of that show, it, it reminds me of on Seinfeld when... When they were doing, you know, breaking the fourth wall to some extent, when he was writing a pilot for his own TV show, and Kramer's suggestion was, you 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 run an antique shop, and people come in and you get involved in their lives. <laughs> yes, yeah, you can solve crimes. I'm not seeing anything on his IMDb that he would be known internationally for, and he died not that long ago. He died in 2014, aged 90 years of age. Mm. But no. So he must have only been, like, famous here. So he was instantly recognisable. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm just looking. I'm just clang. Yeah, I don't see. It's always one of those weird things when somebody like that shows up, though, because it's like if you go back now and watch the ITC show The Champions, where three, peop- three super uh, secret agents crash land in Tibet and are resurrected by a Tibetan uh, monk who gives them superpowers. One of the leads in that is now better known for being a sitcom star. So it's really weird to go back and watch, oh, right, they started in drama. Oh, yeah, because they're actors. Mm. Acting, my boy. Yeah. Have you ever thought of just acting, dear boy? (laughs) I just think of John Lovitz from Saturday Night Live. Acting. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I think one of his best roles was as Satan in The People's Court. Yes. <laughs> Worship me! <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, given that at the end the pilot is swapped out for a village pilot, how much of the people that he goes to see do you think were in on it? If any. I don't think Thorpe and Cargo were. Or, I don't. I, I mean, Thorpe and... Uh, well, the Colonel and uh, Thorpe were... I don't think the guy who plots were the village could be the Navy commander. I don't no. think he was either. I, I really don't think any of them except for Mrs. Butterworth. And the pilot. And, and, and yes, who was actually the milkman. Yes. So they were keeping an eye on him all the yeah. time. But I yeah. honestly genuinely think that him escaping was not completely thought and planned out because they couldn't allow for that. They couldn't plan for that. They're not the Joker in the Dark Knight. They can't go, right, well, when he hits that point, the wind will be here, and that will take him in that direction, so we know exactly where to plant the German gun runners. I think they genuinely let him escape. But they probably, but they still... uh, So, did this number two, was she... um, Was she just sitting there waiting for him to come there? Like... How far back did they set this up? You know, did they actually do do a new lease? She'd been there. She really has is there or has been there for six. Because what does number two do when number two is not in the village? You know, did they set this up as like a as a long term plan? You know, there can't be a long term plan. Number two is never long term. Mm. Yeah, it's just no. The position is you want to go and be two for a bit. Okay. (laughs) Do you want the script? Well, go on, finish that. I, I I think it was set up, and I think that it, I mean there there was no point to evacuate the whole village and shut everything down, other than to to screw Oh no, it. I I think all that was part of the plan. This was all her plan. Every number two seems to be allowed to execute whatever plan that they've got in whatever manner they choose mm. to get what they want. And her evacuating the village and turning the water off and all that—that that was part of the plan. Her plan was to let him escape. And if he 
disappears, then obviously she's going to get a bollock in and probably end up in the village herself. But she was gambling on him being him. Right. And being stubborn enough to want to return. Yeah. But once he gets to his house, they've got him under constant surveillance. See, now, whether or not they absolutely gave him the freedom to get back, I'm not 100% sure on that. What I can definitely sign on for is the thought that it was all done ultimately, you know, in, in anticipation of him being back and that they were trying to, like, break his spirit by doing that. But, you know, I, I'm... I think I'm a little more cynical on her thoughts than you are, because I'm thinking she had kind of a constant grip on where he was, and that he never he never really had the freedom to totally get away. Uh, that's that's kind of the way I see it. But just the same, you know, I still see it as, uh, you know, ultimately I think the the idea is that he will end up back in the village, and this is going to break him. I think that's that's the, the, the that, bottom line of the plan. Is he ever really? alone are the gun runners really just gun runners are the gypsies really just gypsies i think the gun runners are really gun runners but i think i don't think that they you know that they had no idea where he was i think they knew exactly where he was and you know i think they somehow had him monitored well i i know because i think that like andy was saying before he's and we've brought up this his hubris is what makes him come back they know or they they have such a detailed profile of him they're pretty they're pretty sure he's going to follow through with what he said about coming back so they just need to wait he's going to need resources to do that he can't do it on its own so they they had so like every, everything that happened up until he got back to england was pretty much not planned and it's only because he steps his like and, Andy said if he had got on that boat and just disappeared, he would have probably been free. But because he's a stubborn SOB, he puts his own noose, his head back in the noose. I don't think that he I don't think that he you know, that he that it was planned step by step, okay, then he runs into the gun runners, then he does this, then he does that. Oh, okay. I don't think that. But I do think that they had somehow had eyes on him throughout. And that had he surprised them you know, I, I agree with you. They they kind of knew that he would end up back again, and they kind of you know that that was part of the idea of the plan. But had he, the plan gone awry, and had he said, you know what, I'm just going to go to another island and be on my own, and you know, live or go to another country and disappear, uh, I think somehow they had a grip on him, and that that they would have lifted him again. You know, you know what? Maybe maybe Rover was underneath the water the whole time. Go to bed. You say that jokingly, but I don't. Range. I don't know that that, that is beyond their, their thought process. Yeah. We don't know Rover's range. Do you want the end of the script? Sure. Okay. Is that I'm like a... an English thing for smacking me? Yes, I'm going to smack you. Do you stupid. want the end of the script? Whack. What did you do? Well, number six. <laughs> Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. When number six returns to his village home, Mrs. Butterworth enters carrying a cake with six candles and wearing a number two badge. The loudspeaker starts to play happy birthday to you. She gives number six a little packet tied with a pink ribbon, which contains a reel of film. You see, there is no escape, she said. It's the reel of film he had filmed earlier on, or took pictures of with. So be sensible and tell me why you resigned. Number six then sees the wrapping paper of his gift was the tally-ho, with the headline, plane lost oversea, no hope of survivors. Number two is now by the door, holding the black cat under her arm and saying, give in, enjoy being dead. I'll die first, says number six, screwing up the newspaper as he looks around the room. Smash cut, jail cell, cue credits. So that ending mm. tells us that how much of it I think was planned and that they have now made it so that his people think he's dead. Mm. Now, by, by cutting that ending, they've made it a little bit more ambiguous as to how much she knew. So obviously, yeah, going off what you are presented on screen, I think either me or Bill or you and Dave, I think both interpretations are just as valid as each other. And at the end of the day, it's the prisoner. 
we're never going to find out which one was right or not. So we can go either way on that. And both of us, I think, are right in what we what the two sides believe. I think the ending that's here that they caught spells it out a little bit more. And knowing McGowan, that's probably why he cut it. Mm. But anyway. Speaking of things that are cut, did you catch the uh, editing error? The continuity error? His boots. Oh, I I didn't catch that one. All right, he he gets... he He parachutes down to the beach. Yeah. He gets dragged across the beach. He gets up, his boots are covered in sand and mud, as you would expect. And then he walks up into the village. His boots are still covered with sand and mud, as you would expect. When he walks into his apartment, they're lovely and clean. Well, he brushed off his feet before he walked in. No, he didn't. He walked right <laughs> through the door. Now, I get why. They don't want to mess up the set. <laughs> <laughs> um, when he's being uh, in his in his apartment with Mrs. Butterworth, when she brings him... When she walks over and sits down, she has a cigarette in one hand and a plate of sandwiches in the other. When they transition the scene, the cigarette and the sandwiches have switched to the opposite hands when number six sits down. Oh, that? Yeah, it was it was it was it was a quibble. It was minor. But I was like, wait, I just saw something that didn't make any sense. So I had to back it up. I'm like, OK, yeah. <coughs> now, you know, because she originally sits down. She has them in, I believe, her left hand. He sits to her right, and then, or, or then they, you know, cut to him. Then they cut back, and she's in a closer shot, sitting on the couch. And now she has uh, the sandwiches. Now she could have maybe just quickly flipped them over. So, it, but I was just like, it, it, it was jarring. It was a little. Uh, Is I one of it. the shots flipped, or is it a continuity mistake? I think it's a continuity mistake. I don't think it's a flip shot because it's okay. it's the it's you know it's about uh, where is the oh, I already closed it. No, it's about thirty. It's at the thirty-two minute mark, roughly, because I I paused it on that shot. So oh, okay, it, it's a quibble. It's not that important. I mean, you know. No, but it, it is interesting sometimes to look at why they do stuff like that. Well, like why they will deliberately flip a shot, like in Blade Runner, when Roy Batty's in the phone at the end. That's a shot from earlier on in the film, mm. but flipped to his face in the right direction. But you see somebody's hand rest on his shoulder, and that's because earlier on in the film, it is um, it's or later on in the film one of the two it's when somebody's talking to him and when you get to that point in the film you can see where they stole it from because they didn't have a shot of him for all that moment so they flip it to make it look slightly different so i'm wondering if they did flip it or if it's just a goof or maybe there was a, a couple of lines of dialogue edited out we don't know do we yeah i did think it was uh i, I don't think we i mean we did touch on it briefly but so Nobody really, they're like, so you just come back. You've got this fantastic story about being on holiday and taking all these pictures and we're just supposed to believe you, you know, and then that's when they dig in to check out his story. You know, oh, everything checks out. All right. Well, yes. Get in a jet. Bye bye. See, I still think that until the very end, now they have doubts. And I think that was part of the purpose of this. Yes, you can never go home again because when you get there, your former superiors are going to be like, did you betray this country? We're never going to trust you. Yeah, that's why I think they've done him a favour by making him think he's dead. Because now they know that he's not betrayed them. Because he went back. But also, if they think he's dead, they're not looking for him. They have to be questioning what he said and not necessarily totally on board, or they would follow up. Yeah. So, That's true also. So, I mean, if, if they totally believed him, they're not going to say, oh, he's gone, so, eh, doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> the well, world believes that number six... dead, they don't mind, yeah. The world believes that number six is dead, and he must go... Oh, wait, no, that's the wrong show. The Incredible Six. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, it's it's a TV show. It's far-fetched. If you try and put it in the real world... Yeah, it ain't going to work, yeah. With the information they have, are, are, are they going to look into this further? 
or just wash their hands of the whole situation? Do you balance a man's record versus did he well, have that? Do you think if they run this up the flagpole to superiors, it's going to get killed? We already know people higher than these two know what the village is. And it does mm. start to get a little bit ridiculous if everybody knows what it is and six doesn't. Which is another reason why I don't think Cargill and the Colonel are in on it. I tend to agree with you. I don't think they they were. I didn't think they were in on it. Well, they're still going to be. So those those guys will still be suspicious because at some point that guy that was going to be the pilot originally is going to come out like, oh, somebody hit me over the head with a milk bottle. Oh no, they're never going to find the guy that was the pilot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I right about that. Yeah. Yeah, he's no, 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 my friend. No, 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 no. The original pilot, the guy who was supposed to. Go. Yeah, yeah. I think they, I think no, they killed I, him. He, oh, I get. I didn't go. Oh, I didn't go that dark. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. His body. But even the fact that he dis. Yeah, because they now think that that body is his. They think he's dead as well. Oh, yeah. So there's no there's no chasing it up. That's what oh. I mean about that little bit at the end of the script ties it all up a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, but it ties up too well. It doesn't yeah. have the ambiguity, which yeah, is what's so fun about the prisoner. Yeah, I, and again, I wonder if that's why it was cut, though. Good job, Mr. Surf. Yes, well done. <laughs> I think you he know, will be back. You know, the, the hubris of the whole thing, if he'd gotten back and just said, this is where the the island probably is, you guys go out there and look for it. I don't want to have anything yeah, to do with it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I did my bit. I'll stay here. Let me know what you find. Yeah. I've done my bit for Queen and Country. Yeah, if you'd have done that right, okay, there it is. You go and find it. Bye. I'm just, I retired when I was came in. I'm just as retired now. <laughs> That's it, we're done. <laughs> yep. So I guess we'll give our any ratings. Final, any final thoughts? Well, I think we got a little bit more out of this than we... Th- I mean, you know, for one that... it's It's got a lot of plot without a lot of dialogue, which is, you know, in today's age is uh, not something you see. A I, I, honestly, I, I think you get more out of this 50 minutes than you do in six episodes of a 10-episode Netflix show. Yeah, I genuinely do. Even though this is, in terms of depth and discussion and, and all of that stuff, I think this is a lesser episode of The Prisoner. I still think a lesser episode of The Prisoner is better than 80% of stuff that's on the air at the minute. Have you seen the pilot for the new Quantum Leap? No, I no. hadn't got around to it yet. Why is it not good? It's dreadful. Oh. Now, people are saying, oh, episode two's better, episode three's better, but I'm sorry. The first episode of the 80s one told the story and it wasn't all tech 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 wow whereas that's all the new one is there's it's because you can't do a show anymore that has a lead man a leading actor a lead to one or two leads i suppose you would say with quantum leap it has to be an ensemble so now mm. you've got entire scenes taking place back at the project with this ensemble of csi type characters all talking tech shit mm. and oh, it's really? like but, but that that misses the point the whole point was sam's figuring out the story as you are the audience and al wasn't always a help so, so the mm. fact that you're now cutting to the the project of people going well we think if this happens and this happens and this tech does this tech and you're like no so it's, stop it's, it. it's falling into the uh the you know the the formula for like these superhero shows now yeah it's it's all the guys in the chair are back at the office trying to sort out his problems for him. And the first episode as well, if you remember the eighties one, the fact that Sam was in the fifties doing test pilot thing was a story that could have only been set in the fifties. The the show setting was endemic to the story. It was integral to the story that they were telling. They couldn't have told that story in nineteen eighty five. It wouldn't have made any sense. This one, other than the fact that Live Ed's on the TV, that they could have told the story for the episode anywhere. Absolutely, anyway. It made no, didn't matter at all that it was in 1985 or whenever Live Aid was. Are they sticking no to the... Cons- in it. I have mm. no interest whatsoever in watching 
the new one. I'll stick with the old. One. If you told me All if right. you told me the new one was awesome, I'd have interest in watching it. But based on what you're saying, I'm thinking no, thank you. Well, I may give the second episode a go because somebody else said no that it does. The second episode is more what you want, but the first one. I can't help but think that the original was much better written in that you found out what was going on as Sam found out what was going okay, on. So and the new the new the new guys are right. So the you'll be the canary in the coal mine it. and we'll send you in and if you come out and, and say it was good, then episode, we're yeah. alright. I'll try the second one. But the new guy's alright. Uh he's just got no chemistry with his hologram, who's supposed to be his wife. Oh really? So yeah, so oh. I'm like okay, I don't know how this is working. Uh and he didn't really seem to express any surprise well if you watch it it starts off if you're not going to watch it i'll ruin it by the first minute is set in the future and they basically explain that they're trying to get the project quantum leap up and running again and they tech the tech the tech and then we follow ben the new guy as he steps into the quantum leap accelerator and vanishes it should have started with him doing that that entire first five minutes cut it off you don't need it and you as the audience should have been like oh Okay, what's going on? Because you can't rely on the fact that the people who are watching it watched Quantum Leap 35 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the problem with it. They're expecting that the people watching this watched the original. So is it a sequel? Is it in the same yeah. time? Yeah, yeah, it's All a sequel, right. yeah. Because it is very, they are very definitely trying to find Sam. It is very definitely the same Project Quantum Leap. And one of the characters in it is Al's daughter. So it's a sequel, not a reboot. All right. Well, then, now I might give it a shot. And it's got Ernie Hudson saying that's one big Twinkie. It has got Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson is playing a character from an episode of the show, the original oh. show. Oh, I did not know that. Yes, he is magic from the Vietnam episode where Sam leaps into his... Oh. Is it his brother in Vietnam? Does his brother go to Vietnam? Uh, yes, yes, yes. His brother dies in Vietnam, doesn't he? And yes. Sam leaps into the body of his brother. It's immediately after the episode where he leaps into himself as a 16-year-old, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Magic was a character in that episode who was friends with his brother. In the new one, that's Ernie Hudson. Hmm. Wow, that'd make him pretty old, wouldn't it? Yes, and Ernie Hudson doesn't look that old. <laughs> Why, wouldn't he be like 80 years old almost? I, yes. You'd think he would be around that age, but they see wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Mm. But anyway, there's your mini review of the pilot episode of Quantum Leap, which will make no difference by the time this comes out. This episode was a twofer. Mm. It doesn't even have Mike Post's music, man. The, the music's awfully boring. Mm. But anyway. This episode of The Prisoner. Yeah, go on, write this one. How many birthday cakes are you giving this? I'm giving this one six candles. Uh, I really enjoyed watching this. Again, I still walked away saying, mm, you know, I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what he just trying to break him. What were they doing? Uh, but I think that's the whole idea of the prisoner anyway, is that you have to walk away saying, what are they doing? Uh, so, <laughs> but, but it was just, you know, it was gripping. The whole silent movie aspect of it was a lot of fun, I thought. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it really gave Magoon a chance to shine. Uh, you know, with with his physical acting and everything, and and you know, knowing that he was knowing knowing that he's always involved, you know, very very much in the production aspect of the show, uh, you know, give just gives him so much credit. So I'm sticking at six on this one. Uh, I've been I've been kind of sitting back saying, you know, I, I'm afraid to give a six, but I, I think I think I think we're there. I gave it uh, six birthday cakes too. I personally, though I, I, I complain about it, I love the episodes where you get a glimpse of the goal, if so to speak. The getting off of Gilligan's Island, even though you know you're going right back there. There was an episode of Buck Rogers where it showed him, I don't remember whether it was a dream, but he was in, you know, his time, the 80s. Yeah, with his I, girlfriend. Right. Yeah. He sees his mom, too. I just remember yeah, he sees he his home. mom, yeah. When Battlestar Galactica got the transmission of the Apollo landing. Right. Mm. I love that stuff. Those glimpses of the goal, even though you don't quite make it. So I gave it six. 
I give it six as well because I just generally love this episode. I just think it is supremely entertaining from top to bottom. Yeah, you can argue it doesn't have the depth or the that you can't pull up the strings to analyze all the the hidden meanings and everything like you can with other episodes. But it is, like I said, this I think more happens in this fifty minutes than in five episodes of Daredevil or any other Netflix show that could be purged down quite easily. It's supremely well-written. McGowan shoots himself brilliantly. I don't know how much of that was because he didn't have to learn any dialogue. So he could focus more on the direction. But there's so many good shots. The silhouette of Six, as he stands, he's every bit the heroic leading man. He's very resourceful. He knows exactly what he's doing. And there's loads of shots that are sunset or sunrise that just look really lovely when you consider that this was written in the, the middle of spring when everywhere was miserable. So well done. Lots of nice location footage of empty Port Marion as well. I'm going to give it uh, six ejection seats for number six. A very good episode. I It Maybe on repeated viewings, it doesn't hold up, but then you can concentrate no, I, more on other things in the background. And, you know. Well, I did an episode of Palace of Glitch and Delight on this episode for the prisoner's 40th birthday, because it's a birthday episode. And I deep dived into it. So I've watched this one twice in the past year, and it's still great. Mm. And that's not counting however many times I've watched it over the past... 30, 40 years. It's the Andy Leyland seal yeah, of just, approval. It's just really entertaining. It's just a well-done, smart piece of television filmmaking. It's really good. That's that's going to be on the marquee if they ever show it in a theatre. <laughs> a really smart piece of television filmmaking, Andrew Leyland. <laughs> Where's the snacks? <laughs> oh, Actually, they're, they're going to, you know, not knowing how smart these people are, they're just going to pick the wrong quote instead of putting that they're going to put it's yeah. it's really good andy leyland <laughs> that new quantum leap show sucked so that's what we all thought but what did blaine think blaine blaine thinks we haven't been doing that man i know i appreciate you doing it though so blaine said hi guys I came into this episode worried that it would be subpar, since it's one of the ten filler episodes that Patrick McGowan didn't originally intend to make. It's another one where the premise is hard to accept, but everything that follows is great. I assume that they must have a way to gas number six in his bed, because I don't understand how else the entire island can be evacuated without him noticing. I'm also forced to conclude that he's the only true prisoner there, as the others seem to be participants. I also appreciate the fact that the first half hour or so is, for all practical purposes, a silent film. That's a daring filmmaking choice that is difficult to pull off in the modern era. I also like the implications that number six is so well understood that they can give him the opportunity to reach the UK, confident that they'll know exactly where he'll go and what he'll do in light of the experiences that he's had. Next week's episode, The Schizoid Man, is episode five on iTunes. So just kind of breaking down... uh Blaine's thoughts a little bit. Uh, I think they always have the ability to gas him. I think that's just, you know, they did it before he, before oh, yeah. he was the prisoner. So once he is, I'm sure they have the ability at any point to release gas into those village apartments. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little thrown off on the idea of, is everyone there just in on the joke? You know, it seems so elaborate to do that for one person. I'm thinking there's a lot of manipulation going on at the same time of various people because that just makes so much more sense to me that that you'd set this up for various people and and you know maybe the people who accept it they're just retired there and that's a way of them just keeping them under control but I can't think I got to think that you know he, number six is not the only stubborn prisoner uh, so I'm thinking there's other people who have similar thing similar stories going on but you know I don't think we're ever going to find out the reality of that. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, Blaine commenting that, uh, you know, they understood that he was going to, you know, that they'd know exactly where he'd go and do. And I, I, even, even with my thought that they were always watching him, uh, I think that is the case. I think he acted exactly in the manner they expected him to, but 
again, I, I believe that had he veered off that course, they were, they were prepared to find a way to, you know, to keep him under control anyway. I don't think, I don't think they were truly going to risk that he could find his way to freedom and be gone. I think next episode, this is not a spoiler. You're going to see just how far the village can go. And, you know, saying, talking about gassing number six, he's definitely going to be gas lighted next episode. Right, Andy? Yeah. So that's uh, that's going to be another interesting one to see. Because the next one is Schizoid Man, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Okay. Should I do my should I do my next time? Yes, you haven't done your next time yet. Next time on an all new episode of The Prisoner. Well new to some of us six of one half a dozen the other i was told there wouldn't be math the schizoid man who are you you know who i am for the last time who are you i am number six number six 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 by what evil device and for what sinister purpose is the prisoner brought face to face with himself in the schizoid man I have a very strong sense of identity. Sorry, I was forgetting you're supposed to be me. That's right, except there's no supposed about it. Why don't we settle this like gentlemen? Who are you? He's the one. He's number six. He's cracking number 12. I'm ashamed of what I did to number six yesterday. It was your job. If I had a second chance, I want you to know that I wouldn't do it again. A beautiful girl relents, but is it too late to save the prisoner from himself in The Schizoid Man? The next dramatic episode of The Prisoner on this channel. And it is no coincidence that is also the title of an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm. That's right. All right, so I guess we'll see you then. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, is seeing you. Is seeing you. Many happy returns as I hand you a cake and I'm wearing a dress. What a delightful you, image. <laughs> you could pull it off, Bill. Who are you? The village people. Who are the supervisor, Paul Spataro. The chess master, Dave Pascarella. Rover. Dr. Bill Robinson and Andrew Leyland as the butler. The village people investigating the prisoner.